2: From Capital Broadcasting Company and WRAL FM, welcome to Wine and Dandy. I'm your host, Sarah King. I'm your host, Jamie Caskey. Wine is fun, and man, we intend to prove it. I think we've been proving it for a while now. I think so, too. And we just want to say, I know you haven't heard from us in a few weeks. There's a reason we've been packing, because we're moving to out and about at WRAL. They have a podcast. Kathy Hanrahan is the host, and Jamie Caskey and I are going to be there once a month taken over the podcast because we're terrible at sharing, (laughs) and uh, we're going to be doing a wine and dandy via... Out and About, which you'll be able to find in the same spot that you find this podcast. Yeah, once a month. And while we've been uh, getting
3: ready to move, we've been packing up our stuff, if you will, and we have found some highlights from podcasts we've done in the past that we wanted to revisit and share with you guys before we move on over to Out
2: and About. It's always fun when you move and you find stuff. like, oh, I totally forgot about this, and this was exactly like that for me. Oh,
3: yeah. So tell me um, what it was like for you. Like, What did you come across?
2: Well, the first thing I came across was uh, the gas station wine episode. Ah,
3: the beginning of it all. Yeah,
2: while it wasn't our first podcast, mm-hmm. it was the podcast I had in mind when I created this podcast. Yeah, the germ. Yeah, my my dad always lives in between towns. Yeah. He's ne- he never lives in a town. He always <laughs> lives in between the two towns and there's never a grocery store oh, yeah, closer than 30 minutes away. Uh-huh. So when I go visit him, I'd have to go to the gas station and get whatever I wanted. I always thought it would be funny if somebody reviewed the gas station wines as a service to the, <laughs> those of us who are stuck drinking them. And so that's where it came from. So here is a snippet from that episode. I think that this is from 2018. 20- eighteen. I think mm-hmm. that's when we did this episode. And I also remember that we had to redo this episode because we deleted part of it. Oh and by we do you mean me. Okay, cool. I just wanted Yeah. No, sure. I. I and I think after that you stopped letting me run the board. You <laughs> went the table stern. <laughs> okay, let's check it out. And sometimes you're at your folks' house or your family's house out in the country or out in the middle of nowhere, and there's no grocery store, but there is a gas station. Yes, you hop down to the gas and go. And you get yourself. Some wine. So this week's episode is called Gas Station Wines. Yes, ma'am. So I hopped down the street to my neighborhood cruisers.
3: Ooh. Not Andy
2: Hugo. Sounds fancy. Uh,
3: Well, and this is cool. I walked in, and I'm sure they were like, psycho, aisle two. (laughs) I said, hey, uh, I couldn't see. They had a giant beer fridge, but they did not. I could not see the wine. And normally I can see that. I'll just kind of zoom in on that. So I walked to the front and said, do you guys have wine? And they said, it's over there. And I said, well, actually, I'd be curious to know what your best sellers are. Best sellers. (laughs) And they quirk their head like dogs. I said, no, I do a podcast, and um, we are looking for what your best sellers are. And our new friend, Kiera, at Cruiser, said, girl, I got this. Come on. Well, you wanted to know the most popular, and these small bottles are the most popular ones that we sell,
2: which... And we think they're just adorable. They're adorable, they're like rooms. They're like room service ketchup, which is the only reason I get room service yes. to get that squatty bottle of ketchup. I love yes. that. Bottle. And, the, and the hot sauce yes. is even
3: smaller. And you save it and oh, it rolls you're... around in your purse for you. And then you
2: eventually put it in the recycling bin. Right. So what did you get for us today? Well, because I love you and I know you love bubbles. I do. We are starting
3: with. Uh, uh, This is the fun part It's called JFJ Extra Dry California Champagne um, And it describes it as Sparkly wine filled with the smells of apple, pear Touches of caramel and yeast They say it is clean and balanced And the website says Partially redeeming themselves Made using the champagne method Let's taste it Let's give it a shot It
2: tastes like a warm Coors Light
3: (laughs) (laughs) It's so bad y'all It literally tastes like Gas station, hand washing, bathroom
2: water that they added bubbles to is real bad. It tastes like... it. Now that I've tried it twice, it does taste like a like a light beer, kind of, to me. Oh. It's just not at all... If it's It's, an it's terrible.
3: And, fun fact, we gave it away to a girl we work with who walked by and liked it, and then we snatched it right back. Because I was like, I just deleted the episode. <laughs> I'm going to need this. You can't actually have this. And then story. I started
2: crying a little bit.
3: <laughs> <laughs> if you're doing mimosas, you have a bachelorette weekend, or somebody's turning a particular milestone age... That's kind of cute. And it's
2: nice to use small bottles for mimosas Mm because sometimes you you open a whole bottle, but you don't want to drink the whole bottle. It gets wasted. So this wine might be good if you had anything in it. Like, (laughs) Like, even Alka-Seltzer, I think, would improve this champagne. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Probably true. Well, let's move away from this bottle as quickly as possible. (laughs) We're going to hop
3: on over to our next container, which is – this is kind of cool. We have not tried this. Um, This is actually kind of in a little square – Cardboard container that you were telling
2: me about—it's called a Terra Pack. Well, let's give it a taste. It's a Pinot Grigio. It's the Vendange Pinot Grigio. And, and Kira said this is the highest seller at the Cruisers. Yes, the number one pick. <laughs> There's a ribbon involved somewhere, people.
3: <laughs> smells good. It smells
2: like a regular Pinot Grigio. It's got a little bit of a cat pee. Smell I smell to it. no
3: petrol. I—I uh,
2: I, I smell cat pee though. <laughs> oh God. A little bit. That's not a bad thing in wine. You know what? You are correct. I know I know. Now that I you smell it, it, I, can't I not smell it. We both have it. cats. Yeah. So I'm
3: like, Ew. I'm like, that's what my,
2: yeah, yeah. But, but keep
3: in mind, we've had poopy wines before that
2: were delicious. Oh yeah, S- yeah. Like sometimes It'll nose be turned off by yeah. this. Yeah. I think we're gonna like this vendage. Okay. Or I Vendangi. like Your positivity. I don't know how to say this. <laughs> uh, you know what? That's not bad.
3: So, I would drink that if someone had it and I had no wine and we were at an event where I needed wine.
2: <laughs> I would drink that if there's no wine left on there's Earth. There's some pretty <laughs> specific parameters, but sure. I'm... Right. Okay, what's last? Color me excited. Okay. I can't wait to find out because I see red.
3: <laughs> yes, you do. We have a red wine, and this actually, this is Sutter Home. This is a Sutter Home Cab Sauvignon. That's the bottle you would get if
2: you were on an airplane. That's exactly right. Let me... Oh, yeah. Twist that top oh, off, sounds Sarah. Sounds delicious. <laughs> the, the nose is... Uh, is Smells like a Cabernet Sauvignon. This was two fifty, by the way. I mean, so if you're
3: just, you know. Yeah, 2 dollars that's good. A big bottle of the Sutterham Cabernet
2: Sauvignon, about eight ninety nine. I will say that before, and I haven't tasted this yet, mm-hmm. but I will say that when it comes to cheap wine, uh-huh. I think it's easier to hide flaws in a red wine than it is a white wine. I think you're probably... I think you're right I think you're right so, Because they're so fruity Exactly This in fact
3: They refer to it as um, Full body dark fruit flavors Hint of toasty vanilla goodness Again
2: as Sarah likes to say
3: We'll be the judge of that <laughs> Yes <laughs> I'll
2: be the judge of that <laughs> I do get um, It smells great I berry. get plum mm-hmm. And I get black pepper mm, I get a little bit of blackberry mm-hmm.
3: It and smells was, like it would taste good it,
2: No it smells rich
3: Yeah It's got a very rich nose mm-hmm. Let's give a sippy sip and then I have a surprise for you about this wine. Oh my gosh. No, drink it first and then I'll tell you. Oh, it's like <laughs> full of anchovy juice no. or something. <laughs> Nothing like that. Wow, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I it's, think it's not so a bad. It's perfectly serviceable. I red agree wine. with you. It's, we what? tasted more expensive red wines that were not as good as this. So it's. In my opinion.
2: I don't like Cabernet Sauvignon as a <laughs> uh-huh. rule. It's not yeah. my, it's just a wine I never like because it always tastes like green peppers to me a little bit. There's a vegetal quality about, mm-hmm. about uh, Cabernet that I don't like. Um Yeah. This is a little, this is definitely fruit forward. Yeah. There's a lot of sugar in this wine. Yeah. But yeah, no, I would be. Which is surprising. I would be perfectly happy coming home at the gas station with six of those little bottles. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) When one is not enough of your gas station vino.
3: Well. Long um, weekend. So this is the surprising thing. And I'm glad that we liked it because it makes us, it just really punches home the message that we know we're talking about. This wine, the Sutter Home Cabernet Sauvignon, won double gold, received a double gold award in 2017 by the San Francisco Chronicle. And San Francisco's right there in Napa Valley. They what year? 2017? Last year. No way. True story.
2: You know, the gas station wines weren't as bad as we thought, although that bubbly still, I have nightmares about it. Oh, seriously. I mean, it's funny, as we were listening back to that, both of us were like, ugh,
3: ugh right? Oh, it was
2: horrible. So what did you find while you were... Packing up stuff
3: Well, I'm so glad that we just heard the line about a fruit forward red Because one of my favorite guests that we have interviewed through the years Was Coach Steve Logan Who is a football coach from this area, of course he coached for ECU and has worked in some of the national leagues And typically coaches are considered, beer, assumed beer drinkers But since this show is all about busting stereotypes about wine You know, it's wine is fun You don't have to be so frou-frou about it Coach Logan really busted a stereotype for us. Let's check it out.
2: That voice you hear is Coach <laughs> Steve Logan. He was the head coach of uh, ECU football. Yep. He was the 49ers quarterback coach. And he is a regular contributor all over ESPN, 99 The Fan, yep. and uh, WRL tv He has the Logan Zone. You think with football, you don't think of a football coach loving wine, but you do.
4: You're probably right. Most of my uh, compadres in this profession, are beer drinkers. In fact, when I was in NFL Europe, I'm the guy that, you know, we're going to Europe and we end up in Germany. I was coaching in Berlin and in, in Cologne for three years. And I'm the only guy there that's not just so excited about drinking these giant <laughs> okay. steins of beer that are 14% alcohol.
2: Oh, yeah. That's das what the. Wut. Yeah. <laughs> and of
4: course, all the players yeah. and most of the coaches that I worked with. But, uh, I started drinking wine really when I was like 40 years old. It was the first time I ever had a, a drink of wine. So like, like, what well, year? That's 25 lottery. years ago oh, now. Oh, really?
1: You look
5: great. <laughs> yeah. Well,
4: thanks. Red wine. See. Uh, exactly. Red wine and dark chocolate. <laughs> yeah. That's all I eat. I, so. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I'm I so excited about going to Europe because I had begun to drink wines, and I have, I was raised or introduced to wine, mm-hmm. the California Reds. Right. So this is where your palate gets trained, okay? We're all a victim of our experience. That's one of my talks that I give. But anyway, I go to Europe, and I'm going, oh, man, this is going to be great. I get to drink some French wines. Well, I buy my first bottle of French, and I drink it, and I'm going, this is not agreeable with me. So then I spend 20 euro on a bottle. Oh, yes. And I'm thinking, this is going to be good, and it doesn't agree with me. Then I, I ended up, I bought like a 50-euro bottle of French wine.
2: So that's around 75 That's about a
4: $75 bottle of wine yeah, back yeah. in the day. So anyway, I complained to one of my European friends over there that I had befriended, and I said, this stuff tastes like dirt <laughs> to me. Yeah.
2: And you call it earthy in the wine Exactly,
4: and this is how what a Neanderthal I am. <laughs> he looked at me, and he said, that's what it's supposed to taste like and i said well that's American the problem <laughs> yeah that's not what i like right because if you are raised on the californian taste i've learned mm-hmm. it's much more fruity than the european experience so then i ventured around in europe and i ended up drinking a lot of spanish reds which behave much like the california reds right. so yeah. anyway that's my wine journey in a in a capsule here's the deal here's what i've learned about my personal wine journey mm-hmm. i go to the wine shops mm-hmm. and i get friendly with the wine shop owners smart
2: move always a smart move <laughs> exactly
4: and so i just be I, I can now enunciate what it is i like which is this i like a fruit forward red mm-hmm. with a long smooth finish and so but the point i'm making is this <clears throat> if somebody said Uh, Hey, let's open up a Cabernet. Well, I know what I'm basically going to get. It's going to be dry at the end. It's going to bite. And I'm wonderful with that as long as we're going to have a meal. Right. So the point I'm making is this is why I'm a big Red Zinfandel fan, because at night, I want to have a glass of wine that I can just sip and enjoy. And and a glass of wine at night will last me an hour.
2: Okay. Okay. One glass.
4: One glass. There really, really, Sarah's truly.
3: Face is so perplexed. I know. I'm like, I have a
2: two year old son, and I drink it like it's trying yep. to escape. Well,
4: <laughs> when I had a two year old son, I drank Benadryl by yeah, the bottle. There you <laughs> so, go, <yeah. laughs> so I'm trying to get either him or me yeah, had to that's go to 100% sleep. Yeah, one hundred percent true. So, but but, uh, but seriously, that you know the point I'm making about do I like expensive wines? Here's what I like, and if you'll engage the wine shop owner. The wine shop owner will say, look, here's a, let's say a $26 bottle of wine Mm -hmm. that drinks way above its price point. That's how I like like. to drink wine. So will I buy a $50 bottle of wine? Yes, I will. But it better be a knockout, drop dead, good looking wine. (laughs) Yeah. Okay.
2: Well, you know, he was talking about (laughs) wines that... Drink more expensive And we actually have An episode about yep, that Yeah we do So everybody go back In the archives And look for that Well the interesting
3: thing is um, When I was editing that down He never mentioned What his favorite wine is But you and I Have it memorized Sarah Oh
2: absolutely I see it in the grocery store I yeah. see it in wine stores It's, it's good f- It's very good <laughs> It's Rombauer Zinfandel Yeah And it's California And it's exactly what he said Fruit forward with a long Smooth finish It's great And I was not expecting To like it So that was a pleasant surprise
3: 100% Let's take a quick break And then we're going to come back With one that Sarah picked that has one of my favorite quotes of all time That's true
2: You can still find us on Facebook at Wine and Dandy Podcast And on Instagram at Wine and Dandy Podcast But again, Wine and Dandy will take over the Out and About podcast Once a month and you can find it everywhere you found Wine and Dandy Exactly So, the one that I have for next is one of my favorites because it talks about one of my favorite wines in the world. Oh, yeah. And that is champagne. Bring on the bubblies. That's right. And Sophie, who works with my husband at the Hall River Wine Man, Mm -hmm. uh, she came in and she is an expert, an absolute expert at champagne. And she schooled us on how it was made, why it's so expensive. And then she gave Jamie her favorite line of all time. It's true. Let's listen.
5: Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I, too, love, love, love sparkling wine.
2: You were just telling us that you have a title. You are officially a sales rep for Hall of Rhyme Man, the distributor. Yes, yes. But you have a fun title that you can also claim.
5: Yes, I am known as a friend of Bubbles. Who gave you that name? It was given to me by my friends at Transatlantic Bubbles, a small Connecticut-based champagne importer that I had a very close professional relationship with while I lived in New York. As a buyer up there, I got to go on their champagne trip a lot. And then... After I stopped being a buyer and started being basically a direct competitor, I was still invited on their champagne trip. Because um, you're a good time. Yeah. And so <laughs> we would, well, and because I speak French, which none of them did. So it was partly oh, wow. for trans- translation, but a lot of it um, was just because I had been sort of grandfathered into this trip to Champagne every year. So even though I was standing as a direct competitor to them, I was still traveling with them to Champagne and we were going to taste things that required a name tag. And so everyone had the name of their company that they worked for on their name tag. And so they just went with Friend of Bubbles because I was obviously working for a competitor. Oh my (laughs) God, I love it. Today, we're going to be talking about different styles of bubbles and what you need to know to kind of help navigate a selection um, in a wine list or on a shelf in a store. Uh, basically, Basically, you're demystifying Champagne. I mean, I hope to. It's- the fact is, with a little bit of information, you can get a really nice bottle of wine at the price you want, in the style that you want, without embarrassing yourself. So I always think people are, are far away from answering the question that is the most important, namely, do I like this? You know, yes. as long as you're answering that question when you taste a wine, you're doing like basically all the most important work.
3: So.
2: Oh, I love that. That's a little long for a t-shirt, but I <laughs> really liked it. So I have the first question I have to ask you is something that bothers me. Does your eye twitch like mine does when someone refers to any sparkling wine as champagne?
5: Certainly, yes, it does. Okay, good. (laughs) Well, the biggest thing that makes champagne different is actually not the method, but the terroir, the the place that it's made. Uh, Champagne is really far north. It's extremely cold. That turns out to be essential to the way that the wines are made and the way that they taste. They have a particular soil type, which is, it's basically Kimmeridgian limestone, but with a lot of chalk. And so a lot of people, like when they speak about the taste of champagne, they speak about chalkiness and chalky flavors. Yeah. Um, Really, the only other place that that's found in the world of sparkling wine is on the southern coast of England, where they now make some sparkling wine, Um, but that's actually quite close to Champagne, and they share you know, some similarities of terroir. But that would not be considered Champagne because it's from England. You really have to be within the Champagne region of France to be making a proper Champagne. The way that the word Champagne got co-opted by sparkling wines from other parts of the world was by basically writing Champagne Method. And so by writing Uh. Champagne Method, these wines are made in the style of Champagne. You were saying This is champagne-like, but it's not from champagne.
2: And elaborate on what the champagne method is.
5: So the champagne method is the specific uh, way that sparkling wine is made in champagne. It is basically revolves around the process of a second fermentation where you make the base wine, You ferment it, um, and then you put into the bottle a little bit of sugar and a little bit of yeast, Uh and you basically start a second fermentation in the bottle. Champagne requires that second fermentation to take place over a large period of time in a freezing cold cellar. Mm -hmm. Again, back to the temperature there. Okay. Um, And... Ha- typically has longer, like, regulations on how much time the wine needs to spend in its second fermentation process. And how long
3: is it? You say it's a large amount of time. It's
5: two, it's 18, 18 months to two years what? for, like, a regular champagne, mm-hmm. Um, but then it's four years for a vintage champagne or, like, a Brut Reserve or something like that. Like a Dom Perignon. How much is that?
3: Oh, is my gosh. Expensive?
5: Yeah, Dom Perignon is, a, I, I'm sorry, I I actually don't know that much about the larger champagne houses, but it's it's a long time. I mean, it would be, I would think, like, their current release is probably, like, in the 2010s, I would say. Oh, wow. So, indicating that that it might have spent, you know, up to, like, eight years or something in okay. the process of the second fermentation. So, the price
3: is affected then by how long it's in that second fermentation. Yeah, for sure. Effect. For sure. Exactly. So,
5: yeah, with kind of prestige cuvées, a lot of the price is connected to how long it took to make it because as long as it's sitting in your cellar, you're not selling it, yeah. right? Yeah. right? So, so basically you're paying for that really, really long, slow process that rewards the drinker with like the finest bubbles and the most complex expression Ah. so there's certainly a reason to pay for it
2: i was gonna ask you you know since you're putting sugar and yeast which makes the yeast eats the sugar which in case you don't know then they fart out the gas and that's where the bubbles come from i'm just gonna say it as it is do bottles ever blow up
5: they do not really Um... how do they keep that from happening you would think That's a really good question. I mean, they usually use a crown cap during the second fermentation. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And then um, they will typically have the bottles slanted at an angle with the neck of the bottle and the crown cap at the bottom. And then they'll rise. Yeah. And then they'll do the riddling, which is where you twist the bottle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To allow the, the deposit to float all the way into the neck of the bottle. They really don't have explosions. I mean, I, I, I imagine if you shook up the bottle and agitated it, you could get an explosion. Um, I will tell you, what is very explosive is the process of disgorgement. Um, i sorry,
3: what? So, disgorgement, <laughs> this, is actually, personal. this is actually, this is a
5: great word to know, actually, in talking okay. about champagne. Okay. <laughs> disgorgement is when you take off the crown cap. Shoot out the little uh, deposit of dead yeast cells okay. and then recork it with the cork you're going to use and put the cage on the top. And this is that not process done by is- hand, is it? Well, some people do it by hand. they want to lose an
2: eye. No doubt. I mean, I've seen a lot
5: of hand disgorgements. Tiny producers will sometimes disgorge their entire production. But what is more common is some kind of assembly line where the disgorgement is done by a machine. I
2: can't imagine being able fast enough. <laughs>
5: Champagne and sparkling wines in general stay good open in the fridge really well. And so I just strongly recommend they're going to hold up better than a Sauvignon Blanc, like better than a Pinot Noir. Yeah. Like, you know, get one of these and just don't feel like you have to, you know,
3: finish the bottle in a I just, sitting. I
2: just want to say thank you for giving me a new term, take it to the dome. Love
3: yeah. it. Uh, that's very interesting because I have always thought that if you open a bottle of sparkling wine or you know, your champagne, that that's it. That girl gone.
5: Well, that is a popular misconception, and I think one of the reasons is that it's it is impossible to get the original cork back into the box oh, yeah, because it's they possible. like are all flayed out and stuff yeah, like that. Right. So you really need to have one of these. And I will say, especially champagne, because if you think about that long, slow second fermentation, the bubbles are like knit into the fabric of the wine. And they are not oh. going anywhere. And oh. you can leave a bottle of good champagne open in the fridge without even a champagne stopper in it for a couple days. And can it'll stay bubbly Yes. These wines have so much structure that wow. they will stay open for uh, several days. Uh, we yeah. don't recommend wow. you leave it open in your fridge. You should have one yeah, of these great yeah, stoppers. Uh, yeah, exactly. But if you did, you you might be surprised to find um, how, oh, stand here n- how many bubbles will still be in the bottle.
3: Okay, in case you didn't catch it, my favorite line of all time is that with good champagne, the
2: bubbles are knit together. Into the fabric of the wine. I mean, we can use that in so many ways, and not just about bubbles, you know? Like, my personality is knit into the fabric of this radio station. Right? (laughs) I feel jelly beans are knit into the fabric
3: of who I am. Anyway, I just loved her. Now, for our next thing, we have another Hall River Wine guest, who happens to also be... Sarah's husband, Eddie. He's my tall drink of water husband. That's right. I actually picked one that I really learned. I didn't even know this existed. And I learned a ton about it from Eddie. Eddie talks to us about
2: biodynamic wines. It's like the hippiest thing you've ever heard. We asked you here today because we want to talk about biodynamic wines, yes. which is a whole thing. What do you know about biodynamic wines, Jamie? I know this much, and I'm holding up my hands to make a zero. Yeah. You said it was weird. It's weird. And Eddie and I have talked about it at length at home, and he's like, why don't I be your expert? And I was like, I don't know why I didn't think of that. So here he is. (laughs) So tell us about biodynamic wines.
1: Okay. So biodynamic wines cannot really be understood without knowing what organic wines are. And what this all refers to is just the techniques of farming. So, In its most simplest definition, organic wine is made from organically grown grapes that do not use any sulfites or chemicals.
2: I had an organic wine on one of the wine lists where I work. Yeah. And the way that they got rid of pests on their wine was using ladybugs. Yes. Oh, nice. I know. It is the most adorable idea ever.
3: It's cuter than praying mantis. Oh, those scare me. Yeah. But But they also do that, I think. I don't know. It could be a myth.
2: Anyway. Sorry, Eddie. Anyway, you that know one more one, about we're this. We're going to interrupt yeah. you a lot. So,
1: biodynamic is basically an approach to farming that's like organic on steroids, if you will. It's just an extension oh. of it. it. just takes it just a little bit farther. Basically, biodynamic started in 600 B.C.
3: Whoa. However,
1: <laughs> there's proof that wine was made as, as early as 6,000 B.C., you know, this means that for millennia, people were making wine and farming without any sort of chemical warfare. But let's fast forward to 1924, mm-hmm. and there's a gentleman by the name of Rudolf Steiner, Austrian philosopher. He was a philosopher. He was an architect. He was a social reformist. And he founded a, a type of thought called the anthroposophy
3: and he was a winemaker, too?
1: He kind of <laughs> changed gears on his studies and his focus, and he focused more on agriculture. So in 1924, he was approached by a group of farmers who were very concerned about the future of the land because of the growing use of chemicals and wow, pesticides.
3: Already, in 1924?
1: Yes. You know, they were definitely very concerned with bringing the farm and the planet back in touch with nature. So what we find with biodynamics is we're basically approaching the farm as a fully functioning organic being
2: right that's what i've heard about it is it it treats the farm almost like an animal it's its own thing it's the farm is one big unit just Mm -hmm. it looks at the entire farm Farm. the entire farm so let's let's take it to the toilet shall we are you saying
3: for instance Mm -hmm. that they are using as compost they are approaching this with their livestock, who then they use the compost, which is healthier because it's a biodynamic farm, for the Absolutely.
1: grapes. Absolutely. Nailed it. Look at you,
3: <laughs> Jamie Cassidy. And that's
1: just one of the numerous preparations in order to be considered biodynamic. It is a pretty vague definition depending oh. on what country right. you're in, what region you're in, so... I want
2: you to get to the good part. Yeah. She, she says there, there's weird stuff. There's she wants some you to weird get there. stuff <laughs> that, that you have to it's, do. And, it, it sounds
1: it, weird, but it makes total sense. Okay.
2: So what are the steps to becoming a biodynamic I, farm? Some
1: of the most popular methods, first and foremost, is the burying of the hollowed-out cow horn.
3: See, oh, that's, well, yes, all right, that's then. what I mean. So, witchy, yeah, okay. So
1: you know, the, the typical growing season is basically mm-hmm. March to September, October is your harvest. So in those those off months when everything's sleeping right. and recuperating, what they do is they fill a hollowed-out cow horns. With manure, as well as a different blend of herbs. So they'll do like chamomile, stinging nettles. And so this will decompose throughout the winter. Uh-huh. They will excavate it in, you know, March. They'll let it go for about six months or so. And what this actually does is the horn accommodates the perfect quantity to make tea and to fertilize the soil. Oh, they're so- making
2: tea fertilizer, a liquid fertilizer. Yeah.
1: so they spray it on the plants as well as the soil. Wait, and wait, co-
2: wait, wait, wait. So it decomposes inside this horn and yeah. whatever's left over, they, they mix with it. water. Yeah, they steep it. Oh, cool. Yeah. And spray it on the crops. Yeah. I love it. We'll be doing this in our yard next <laughs> yes. year. Oh, so it <laughs> stimulates
1: the soil activity and the growth of the plants. Uh-huh. Another fun thing to mention is the calendar, the biodynamic calendar, which is what they follow. What they have are four different types of days. In the biodynamic calendar, there's fruit day, there's uh-huh. a leaf day. There's a root day and there's a flower day. Ooh. So fruit day is things those days are better for harvesting, leaf days are better for watering. Root days are better for pruning and flower days are better for leaving things alone. And so it's all with like the moon cycle, the lunar cycle they typically would like to harvest when there's a full moon because there's a stronger gravitational pull, uh-huh. so the sap from the plants starts oh. to drip down, and they believe it to make the grapes taste a little more flavorful. Wow.
3: Interesting. Harvest day. Interesting. What is the weirdest thing you know about I talked about wines? bearing a goat. I feel kind of like the horn might be it, but is there
1: something um, weirder? Not so much weirder, but I think funnier. Okay. Uh, we'll take <laughs> um, it. We'll take it. In the off months, in the winters, what they'll do is they will send their sheep to walk through the vineyards mm-hmm. and tramp along and eat all the weeds that are growing in the winter because all their hoofs will actually aerate the <gasps> soil.
3: Clever. You
1: know, the sign of, of, of mm-hmm. you know, whether it's snakes or little animals living in between the vineyards is actually a sign of a healthy environment to the biodynamic farmers, whereas huh. the more commercial farmers would find that as a pest
3: or yeah, They'd be super right. mad if
2: the sheep were running through. I exactly. had, I had <laughs> a chef one time, we were messing with some kind of lettuce leaves in the kitchen, I don't remember uh-huh. what we were doing, but there was bugs on it. I was like, oh, bugs, and he's like, if it's good for the bugs, it's good for us too. Yes. That means that this is not covered in oh, chemicals. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I well, was you know, like, I have a
3: story about that that I won't
2: get into now about bugs on leafy greens. Oh, you. It makes you feel better about it now. Well, huh? yeah, but like they'll wash it off and get yeah. all the bugs off. Apparently, yeah. I, I have a feeling in your story, they didn't wash all the bugs. Off. I think you might be right way to end it on a classy note there Jamie well we don't want to <laughs> miss an opportunity to talk about flukes <laughs> look them up and then I'm sorry that you looked them up <laughs> <laughs> but honestly biodynamic wine the fact that that is still being made kind of gives me faith in this planet yeah I mean it to show that people are caring enough with what is a cash crop right to go the extra mile I agree All right, let's take one more break. We have two more gems that we found while moving out of this studio to a new one.
3: Okay, we're back with the Wine and Dandy Moving episode. We're moving over to the Out and About podcast with WRAL-TV's Kathy Hanrahan. So while we were packing up, we found some of our favorites. I'm up next, and this was... Another educational episode for me. Our friend Jen King with Seaboard Wine Warehouse was in, and she was debunking take note, uh, (laughs) assuming that a great Valentine's Day idea or a great romantic idea was to hand your honey some
2: champagne and chocolate. It's hogwash. We have Jen King from Seaboard Wine Warehouse, and she's here to talk about and debunk the oh-so-popular idea that wine and chocolate are just a very simple pairing. I can't tell you how irritated I get when I see champagne and chocolate tastings. It literally makes me like a little bit angry mm-hmm. oh my
3: because it, it's just, it they don't work and so which they're... is funny because until we started talking about it i thought oh champagne and chocolate
6: he must love me
3: jen
2: tell us what <laughs> happened here
6: let's talk about an ideal valentine's day how's that yeah let's talk about that champagne and chocolate and how you should have some potato chips with your champagne oh, yeah, and sure. then finish the whole evening with some chocolate yeah and oh and then retire
2: yeah
6: <laughs> <laughs>
3: (laughs) To
2: Turks and Caicos. Right. (laughs) Well, I mean, if we're talking the ideal Valentine's Day. (laughs) All right, so we have lots of wines here, and we got chocolate from Escazoo Chocolates, which is a chocolatier in downtown Raleigh. One thing I've noticed, aside from the bottle in front of you, most of these are red. Correct. Why is that? Everybody talks about
6: the champagne and chocolate thing, and... The reality of champagne is that it is super high acid, and that is why it sort of dances, and it's sort of like a palate cleanser. And you're like, hmm, that'd be great with chocolate. But the reality is that high acid makes the sugar, any sweetness in the wine, just everything goes blah.
2: When I associate champagne and chocolate, I associate it with being quite bitter. Yes. And it get almost mealy. It makes the chocolate come out yes. mealy. Com- it
6: com- yeah, completely changes the texture of it. It's one of those things that I get it. Like these are two lovely sort of luxury items, chocolates, nice chocolates and champagne or any kind of sparkling wine. Sure. But the reality is it just it doesn't work. No. We talk about acid, but we also talk about sweetness and sort of the general rule of pairing wine with a dessert course is that you actually want your dessert wine sweeter than your dessert. Yes,
2: I've I've actually heard that. Oh, I I have not heard that.
6: It's one of those things that it seems a little misleading, and so sometimes it's kind of like a sugar overload, and I'm one of those folks that sort of like says, well, let's just do dessert, and then we'll have dessert wine. Yeah. We'll have two dessert courses as opposed to one. Yeah. Or my other little favorite things I sort of finished, when we were talking about sort of the salty. Start your champagne, have salty snacks, and then you can finish with a little chocolate. Or cheese like the mm. French do. Correct. Exactly. And I love like a little port dessert wine, something like that with mm-hmm. some some sort of delicious cheese.
2: Right. Okay, so a point made. Don't drink white wine and chocolate. Just don't do it. Unless yeah. you're drinking a dessert wine like an ice wine, which is actually hard to come by nowadays, just don't do it. It's not worth it.
6: Option number one is to do something. Um, if you want to do sparkling, go for a, not necessarily a dry sparkling, but something with a little bit of sweetness to it, or okay. a, a fair amount of sweetness. These are This is a sweet wine. It's like five and a half six percent 6% alcohol. Yeah, it is. De- de- and it smells sweet, too. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. In terms of sort of if you're looking and you really want to do the red wine and chocolate thing, mm-hmm. you want to look for something with fruit to it. All
2: right. And the last one that you brought is something that I have in my fridge all the time, which is cardamaro, which I've never seen. It's a beautiful tawny color. Yeah, it's it's considered a bitter. It is wine-based, which is why you can sell it at Seaboard. Oh, it's got gentian. It's got um, it's a bark. There's like various barks and seeds and things that are bitter in
6: Quin-quin. here. Q-U-I-N, Q-U-I-N.
2: The, the, there's a lot of sugar in this mm-hmm. And so it's lovely At the end of a meal So I good. thought it would be Really
6: cool And I haven't tried it I haven't tried either One of these together But no. it just sort of Spoke to me Okay let's um, hear it just going to
3: say The orange I bet
6: Well I know the orange oh, Will yeah. work uh-huh. with <laughs> it But the other little wedge The Angostura bitters Oh Chocolate which is This little guy right it's here It's just
3: beautiful It's such a work of art You hate to eat it It's eat, a truffle it? So yeah. it's quite rich
6: Mmm mm, So good it tastes like it's delicious together. <laughs> that's the best pairing we've had, I mm-hmm. think. I really and I heard. actually think this this is like, I mean, everything just comes alive. Mm-hmm. It is actually like having a cocktail. So the other thing you can try with that is I actually think this would be amazing with this little orange-dipped oh, yes. chocolate. I'm excited.
3: Dark chocolate-dipped candied orange peel.
2: Mm. Hello. Because the bitterness of the, the orange peel
3: mm-hmm.
2: and the richness of the chocolate. Yeah, it's heaven. The
6: thing that's, like, amazing to me is when you taste something like that together, either one of those, is that when it's that good, mm-hmm. you really only want one bite.
3: Yeah. Oh, I just put my second <laughs> bite in, Jen.
2: Thanks. That is downright delightful. Mm-hmm. This makes eat. me want to run right out and get some of this. Mm. Wow. Well, this has been very informative. So, if someone invites you mm-hmm. to a champagne and chocolate tasting, Jamie Caskey, how are you going to turn them down? I'm going to say, no, fool. <laughs> <laughs> no,
3: uh, I'm going to say, what a lovely idea. May I bring a wine I think might go well with oh, chocolate? Yeah, that's the way to do it. Red wine goes better with chocolate than white. That's the biggest yeah, lesson. That's the biggest today. one. But I would really blow everybody's mind and bring some of this car tomorrow because I don't think most people know about pairing it with desserts. And that is a phenomenal tip of the day.
2: And we just want to give a shout-out to a local business owned by two women, Tiana mm-hmm. and Danielle, Escazo's Chocolates in Raleigh. Their chocolate is delicious, as you heard us yep. waxing very poetic about
3: <laughs> We were having quite a nice time I with feel- those, and they had provided those to
2: us. Which like, is we should apologize on one level. Really, <laughs>
3: cool. really cool. So now we're going to go from classy, classy wine and chocolate to something, well, I don't know. He was very classy. Sarah, a little less so, Sarah.
2: Tell us what we're about to hear. Well, this is something. Whenever I tell people about the podcast that uh-huh. we do, I always bring up this episode, and it is the Maximilian Riedel podcast we did. They're wine glass makers. It was Riedel. What did I say? Riedel. Ah, oh, crap. Here we go. <laughs> That's actually perfect. It's about glassware made by this Austrian family who is very prestigious and has been making glassware for 300 years. Let's just go to the intro and we'll take it from there. We have on the line um, Maximilian Rydell, who is an 11th generation winemaker. Well, excuse me, wine glass maker, I should yes. say, who is calling us from Austria. Hello to the Riedel. I've been saying it. How do you pronounce it? Because I said Riedel like an American. How is the proper pronunciation?
0: Well, it rhymes with needle. So Riedel. Riedel. Okay. Riedel. 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 Like Riesling. Got Riedel. it. Riedel. Yes. Not we... Riedel High. It has nothing to do with John With Robert. Greece. Oh. <laughs> so Riedel. Riedel.
2: Yes. You know, I really should have research that name, I still get really embarrassed. But I'm so embarrassed just listening to that. And he was so classy and so generous. I know. He had sent us
3: two sets of his extraordinarily expensive glassware. Oh, it gets worse, Jamie. Right, let's
2: hear. Okay. I don't like the stemless wine gla- glasses because I think that...
0: Ah, uh, come on. I don't. It can be good, too.
2: Well, I, I'm not a fan because I don't like the fact that I get the, the wine warm by holding it. Like, I, There's something about holding a glass by a stem that you know, it's elegant and it, there's, Agreed. you know, there's just something, I just, I think it's just a nicer experience. It's because you're classy. Aren't I? I actually
0: <laughs> invented the modern wine tumbler.
3: Ah. That's a oh, different I'm story. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> She's and, sorry. Uh, I, I like, she,
0: like the tumblers yeah, now.
3: No, no problem. No problem. No problem. <laughs> oh my, I had uh, forgotten about that part.
2: Oh, I hadn't. Yeah. I bet. <laughs> Thankfully, that's the last time I had to yank my entire leg out of my mouth. Somehow I managed to learn something, and I think you did as well. We were talking about, (laughs) aside from learning to do research prior to an interview, we actually learned about the rim of a glass and why they're all different sizes.
0: Absolutely. Because when we talk about the rim not the top, it's the rim of a glass, which is on those glasses much more narrow. Yes. is Because the rim is responsible for guiding the wine flow onto your palate. Uh-uh. So if you have a wide rim, the wine will flow wide onto your palate, into your mouth. And when it's narrow, it flows very pointing. You mentioned Sauvignon Blanc. Sauvignon Blanc is a, it's a fruit, it's a grape variety, which is fairly high in acidity. So if a wine is high in acidity, the last thing I want is to boost more acidity. Right. I want to mellow it down right. by bringing it to the tip of my tongue, which uh-huh. is the center for sweetness. So I'm balancing the intense acidity by bringing it to the tip of my palate. And all of a sudden it's not as aggressive sour anymore. Right. Uh, we are boosting the fruit and uh-huh. we're balancing it. And that's what the rim is responsible for.
3: So, uh, we learned a little something after Sarah was horribly insulting to this very kind and knowledgeable (laughs) professional. Um, But the important thing to remember, guys, is we're always trying to learn something. Whether we're learning about a new wine or we're learning about parts of
2: winemaking, Wine and Dandy will continue to do that with you just on this new platform. Absolutely. And, again, it is the out. And About Podcast, produced by Kathy Hanrahan, and we're going to be taking it over once a month and be doing the same thing we've been doing forever. Exactly. So the wine and dandy is not leaving. We're just moving, and we hope that you come find us there. On that note, wine continues to be fun, and we will continue to prove it. Cheers.